Um, I'm excited to continue our series on epistles. I'm also excited we have some family here. My uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Sean and Laura King. And uh, so I want you all to meet them and talk to them before you all leave. I don't know if they want, uh, they're probably not excited I'm calling them out. But uh, I want you to meet them, and uh, they are just wonderful people. Sean's also a pastor, and uh, just doing incredible things in Atlanta, in their church there. So we're excited that they're here with us. Uh, if you are our guest, we have been doing, over the last several weeks, a series on the epistles of John. And today we're going to be in Second John, which does not specifically say that John is the author, but it does follow the trend and the tradition um, of church history over the authorship of this letter is attributed to John. Uh, we are at times asking questions. If you would like to contribute as we talk, I know that can feel a little awkward and weird, then you have that opportunity to do that. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions and I'm going to ask for some feedback. Uh, but if you would just like to say something or you would like to ask a question, raise your hand and hopefully I'll see you. If you see one around you, raise their hand, you know, get my attention because sometimes I'll miss it. Uh, and it's an opportunity for us to really engage in what we're talking about, to challenge each other and to go deeper in this, uh, in this lesson, in this time together. Now, I recognize we're, we're lower today in number, so that means you have a lot more opportunity, uh, if you have something that you want to say or a question you want to ask, or if you want to disagree with something that I have to say, feel free to do that. I would ask you, if you want to disagree, uh, and this is speaking primarily to my brother-in-law right now, who's the pastor, uh, then I would make sure that you have prepared your thoughts and give some scripture to back up what you're thinking, because I am always open uh, to recognizing there's a deeper way of seeing something. Maybe I've missed it. So um, that's what we're going to be doing. I'm excited to go through this. Just as a reminder of some of the things about John, the reason that we're going through these epistles and the reason these epistles are important, some would go so far as to say this epistle, the, the second epistle of John, is one of the most impactful and important letters in which he's going to write. Second and third John become more personal in that we don't exactly know who is uh, who he's writing to. We have some guesses of who he's writing to, but John is one of the central figures of the church at this time. As we look at the story of John, uh, we know John is the brother of James. Uh, John was a fisherman. Jesus called him out. Uh, he had been a disciple of John the Baptist. As we looked at John's history, we find that John was the only apostle still at the feet of Jesus when he died. John was the one that Jesus said, this is the one I love. I continually said to him over and over, I love him. Not that he didn't love the other apostles, but there was a special relationship between the two. Paul said about John that he, along with his brother James and with Peter, were the three uh, supports of the early church. They were the three most important voices in the forming of the early church. And as we know, as we've looked through the history of John... We know that John left at a time that Rome came in and began to exert more control over Jerusalem. He has fled to Turkey. And all of these letters, including uh, the book of Revelation, is written to these churches in Turkey. He's the only apostle we know that died naturally, even though there were attempts made on his life. And the message that he has consistently shared with us over and over again is that to truly live out the message of the gospel means to walk in truth and even more importantly, in love. So let's begin. We are going to go through an entire book today, and I hope you're excited about that, and I hope you brought your lunch with you. 
because we're going to be here. No, we're not going to be here that long. But um, I do want us to begin as we have begun before. If you would stand with me, we're going to read um, 2 John together. It's only 13 verses. Hang in there. We have 2 John on the screen. There we go. All right. The elder to the elect lady. You read with me. Let's try to start over. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many have deceivers have come out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that your joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have to share with us. I thank you for those that are here today. I pray that you would be with those who are traveling today. Uh, Father, reveal your word to us and let us follow you fully in all that we do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look through the beginning, this is a basic letter similar to what you may write that has an introduction and has kind of the body of the content of what he wants to say and then has kind of a closing statement. You'll find that in pretty much all of the epistles, a very common writing style in the New Testament. Paul used it over and over again. John used it. And as we look at this particular epistle, one of the first things that you notice and a question that came up a few weeks ago was the apparent misrepresentation of women in the writings of John of who he is addressing, in which this particular epistle, he seems to reverse that and literally says that he is writing the elder to the elect lady. Now, we don't know exactly that this is John, but we are pretty sure that this is John for a number of reasons. There's a, f- a few different ways people will read this. The elder can be anyone who is older, but in this context, speaking of someone who has authority within the church, and at the time that this was written, John was likely the only apostle that's still living. He is the elder. The question then becomes, well, then who is the lady? And in some 
uh, circles, the belief is that the lady is the church. He's talking literally about the church. The church is often referred to in feminine pronouns. However, it is not uh, capitalized and it is not clear that that's what he's talking about. In the closing, what he's going to then say is not only am I greeting you, but your sister, your elect sister is also greeting you. We're not going to get hung up on this. But I do want to encourage you that however you want to read, is this to the church or is this to a leader in the church? There is a lot of disagreement. And when we look back over the history, as we talked a few weeks ago, the practice versus calling out and changing a social dynamic are not always the same when we look at the apostles, especially not when we look at Paul. Paul was one who particularly reached out and would speak of women who were leaders within the church. Phoebe was one in particular in which Phoebe was called, and depending on your translation, would be said to be a leader in the church or a servant in the church, but literally means a deacon. When he talks about Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, Prisca or Priscilla uh, is the wife of Aquila. They were both church leaders. They were kind of the first you know, church power couple in the New Testament, in which they would lead the church together. No differentiation is made there. My point is not that we are going to make a big uh, push in this direction today. This is a conversation for another time. However, my point is this letter could be written to a woman who would have been seen as some kind of leader in the church, or you can read it, that this is just a letter to the church. It's not perfectly clear, but you could go uh, in either direction with that. My belief is that this is a personal letter to a at least a group of people in which he has a warning for them, but he also wants to remind them of what his, his constant teaching has been. If you'll remember, it is said about John that in his later years, he would repeat the same phrase over and over and over, and that was, little children, just love one another. All of the teachings in which he would give and all the directions in which he would give was all in the same direction that we would learn to love one another. And we've seen this message over and over in 1 John. Today we're not going to belabor the things we've already spoken about, but instead we are going to move into a bit of a different direction because John does. There is, thank you, there is much that is going on in the church in Turkey And one of the reasons that he's writing, and he says this implicitly in 1 John, is that there are those that believe Jesus is not the Son of God. So let's just go through this. I have some questions for you. You may have some questions for me. It begins with with 2 John, verse 1, the elder to the elect lady. In verse 2, it says, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. John's Speaking to this recipient, whoever it is, is saying, I love this person. Not I love this person because this person is attractive. Not I I love this person because this person likes me. Not I love this person because I'm supposed to love you. But he goes on to say, I love you because we know the truth. You know the truth. I know the truth. I love you because we know the truth. And not only that, he goes on to say, grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And what he is saying is, I love this group because we know who Jesus is. 
If I were to go around and ask you today, why do you love the people that you love? Why do we? How do we choose who we love? Anybody, throw something out. How do we choose who we love? Spend time with them. They're nice. Hope they love us back. What else? How do we choose? We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. I'm going to go. I'm going to Thanksgiving dinner. I don't want to go, but I'm going to go. I love you. How else do we choose who we love? We share something in common, a shared value. Because they're broken. They need love. Yeah. See, for John, he is trying to introduce this thing that he's about to say by saying this. We are wrapped together in a common unity because of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that thing that says no matter what else happens within your world, what you can know and what you can count on and what you can believe is that Jesus is real and Jesus came. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. One of the concerns that John has is that a number of people are beginning to try to take the power away from what the gospel says because the way you do that is you just remove the central figure, the central character, and say, Jesus really doesn't matter. Jesus really isn't all that important. It really doesn't matter if Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was a good person. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He did good things. As we look through this, John is saying he loves the lady because of their shared knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. This shared knowledge, this knowing the truth of Jesus, this is the foundation for what he is about to say. This is the foundation for what the New Testament is about. This is the foundation for what Jesus constantly taught. And it is the commandment in which Jesus said, this is what I want you to do if you fully embrace me, and that is to love one another. One of the challenges we've talked about in here, and Kat, I've jumped ahead a few slides, by the way. One of the challenges that we face today is the definition of what love is. What does it mean to love someone? Does it mean to love someone in which I make you feel good? Does it mean I love you because I never point out anything bad that's going on in your life? Does it mean that I love you if whatever you tell me, I just say, yeah, that's great. Is that what love is? Or is love that place of just saying, oh, I just feel good about you. I have butterflies in my stomach. When I see you, I just feel great about the world. Is, is that what love is? Well, we all may have different definitions, different definitions of what love is. What John is saying is love is all about expressing and understanding and experiencing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now, that doesn't give us that static definition that we want, that thing that says these are the three ways in which I want you to love somebody. But instead, it creates a foundation for a way of seeing people and the world differently. Knowing the truth of Jesus is the foundation for loving your neighbor. He says this by saying, whom I love in truth, and who he also says... To all who know the truth. When we look at Jesus and we think about the ways he loves, what are some of the ways that Jesus loved? 
What do you think? No, I'm asking. Go right ahead. Okay. You had to go straight there. Straight there. Yeah, right. He died for us. He listened. He was empathetic. He cried when, you know, yeah. people were hurting. Yeah. What else? Healed. Looked past people's faults. Yeah. What else? Mm-mm. You've not done anything that can't be overcome. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at the ways Jesus loved, it is it is incredible all of the various ways that he did. We look at the ways that we are looking for love. We want to be loved. We need to be loved. And I don't know. I, I think Renee hit, hit it square on the head. He died for us. But does that feel like love to a world around us that is struggling? world around us is hurting and broken. We know that in, in general, uh, people are not feeling good about life. We know that people are struggling. We know that depression is on the rise. What does it look like to love people the way that Jesus loved people? And what we don't see in Jesus is a place where he said, oh, I feel good around, around you. In fact, he loved people that I'm sure he didn't feel great around. We look at the apostles. This is one of the hardest lessons they had to learn was to be full, complete, to have joy, even as those who wanted to, to take their life from them, to, to stop what they were doing. And yet he demonstrated, you, you love people who are different from you. You love people who will even hurt you. In fact, you have to, you're supposed to love everyone, not only those who say nice things about you, but even your enemies. And Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to love. And what John is saying is that love, that love is predicated on this one truth that says above all else, of everything else that's going to happen in the world, everything else that will happen in your life, there was an instance in time and in history that changes everything. And that was Jesus on the cross. Jesus is everything. And yes, Jesus did die for us. One of the things that I believe and one of the reasons I wanted to, to spend some time here is that fully experiencing the gospel This truth in which Jesus would give his life for us, fully experiencing the gospel, is the fuel that allows us to love others, which is the command of Jesus. This is Jesus telling us, this is what it looks like to follow me. And and, and I would love for him to just give us kind of the new updated Ten Commandments, right? So you do these ten things and you're good. You don't have to worry about anything else. That would be great. But instead, he just says, I love God and love people. And that should pretty much cover it. And we struggle still today with understanding what he means. But what John is trying to say, just in this very introductory thing, in which we would naturally just read it and go, okay, let's get to the meat of the letter. What he's trying to say is our love, our ability to love each other, is all on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that is not the central part of our relationships with each other, we, even as the church, will not learn to love each other well. Because it's all built on Jesus. It's not built on our affinities. It's not built on we like each other. It's built on the truth that you and I share. 
And the reason this is important is because he's going he's to move into a place that says this truth is being threatened among you. And we could stop here and have a nice discussion about how is the truth of the gospel being corrupted today, couldn't we? Wouldn't that be a fun conversation? Some of us might not agree. But it's not hard to see that it is. One of the reasons that I think that John is saying this to them is because while they lived in a different culture, they lived in a different time, they had the same struggles and the same trials that we did, loving people who are different from us, loving people who don't want to be around us, loving people who disagree with us, sometimes even within the the community of what we call the church, people break relationships because we sometimes find it difficult to love. John believed this was what it looked like to follow Jesus. In order to do that, we do have to have some recognition or understanding of what he means by what does it mean to love other people. Verses 5 through 7, it says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. Is that, are you getting used to hearing that? He has said that over and over and over. That we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. This week, I think we witnessed, maybe you did, I, you probably have been you know, taking a hiatus from all media if you haven't, but to, this week we witnessed a piece of the gospel that we don't often witness. I don't know if you've been following this trial of Botham Jean and, or the death of Botham Jean and the, the trial of Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger was a off-duty police officer, got off work, went home uh, in her apartment complex. She was tired. I don't know what the whole story is, but she was tired or whatever. Thought she was going into her own apartment. She was on the wrong floor. She was in a different apartment. There was a young man, Botham Jean, that was in his home. She walked in, thought he was a traitor, shot him and killed him. And she's been on trial. This week she was sentenced. And as these events go, the sentencing will have a time for family, friends, whoever are close to the deceased We'll be able to come and kind of share and, and, and just talk about the person, talk about the effect that this crime has had. And, and sometimes this time is used to just really go after uh, whoever the defendant is. Why they should be punished, how long they should be punished, how, how terrible of a person they are. And yet we saw something different this week. Did you all see this? All right. Well, let's just watch. Let's just watch what happened.
Hmm. Do you need a minute? <laughs> I know when I watched it the first time, I needed a minute. What a what a picture. <laughs> Brant is his Botham's younger brother by ten years. He's a teenager. And he's on the stand telling the murder of his brother. I forgive you. I love you. God wants to forgive you. This, this is the gospel. So when we when we go through life and we make the gospel out to this thing that says, if you will believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died on the cross and that he rose out of the grave, and one day, one day, if you believe that, you will go to heaven and everything will be all right. I mean, that's a beautiful story if that is the whole story. But what happens when your big brother gets shot? How do you deal with that? What happens when you get sick? What happens when you lose a child? It's an interesting interview, by the way, if you want to go do some more research on this, what his mother said about what he said. Some of you have already pointed out with some other conversations that I've had that many in the world are not happy with Brant. And the reason that they're not happy with what Brant has done is because Brant breaks the mold of what it means to be a someone who loves Jesus. See, the story about you and the story about me is that we are not a people who love. The story is that we are a people who hate We want to exclude. We want to tell people how bad they are. We want to legislate, dictate how people are going to live their lives. And yet what Brant shows us as this young man who knows more about the world and eternity than probably most of us in this room, if not all of us, is that the gospel is more than just being about heaven. This... Reality of loving one another. This is not this thing we have to do in which we just all feel good and have a big hug and we sing good songs and then we leave. Instead, it is the active participation in the gospel that says Jesus is real. He has changed me. And none of this is the same. I would, I would ask myself and all of you here... <laughs> If you were Brant, what would you have used your time for? And I will be honest, I do not know what I would have used my time for. I would like to say, oh, I would do that. That's what I would have done. But I can't tell you that. I don't know that that's how I would have spent my time. This is one of the beautiful works of the Holy Spirit in a people who says, I will love you even when it's hard. Even when it's not popular. It's an incredible story. What the gospel is about. The power to forgive the unforgivable. Is the gospel. Of a God who forgave the unforgivable in me. And the unforgivable in you.
See, in the moments in which we are tempted to begin to dictate how you're supposed to live your life so that you're acceptable for me or for our church or for God, that that place is the place that we no longer believe that we ourselves were unforgivable. We're not that bad. You are. I'm not that bad. And so I put my place over you, telling you how you need to get your life together, denying the fact that we never could do it for ourselves. This is an incredible work of what the gospel is. And our ability to love our neighbors is found in the good news that God loved us when we were unlovable. You know what would be an interesting exercise? We're not going to do it, but it would be an interesting exercise to just go around the room and just to every person, if, to, if we were completely vulnerable, to say, do you feel loved? Like right now in this moment, do you, do you wake up in the morning and go, I'm loved? Or do we have something else going on in our heads and in our hearts? See, the gospel is the good news. You are loved. And no matter what you have done, no matter how unforgivable we are, no matter how unlovable we are, you are loved. And Jesus gave his life for you. John comes back. Let's come back to John. And he says this about love. He says, for, this is how he defines love. Love is living out the commandments of Jesus. Someone, an astute person would say, which ones? Oh, the big two in which we would then take the conversation where we'll always go, yeah, but Jesus said, I'm not here to do away with the law. I'm here to, to show you what it looks like. I'm here to fulfill it. But he would just go on, I believe, to say, this is what love looks like for the follower of Jesus. Just live as Jesus lived. Which means if you're going to love, you're going to be criticized. If you're going to love, that means love the people that no one else is loving. You know, it's, it's easy to love the people that love us. It's easy to love people who say, Mark, you are the most awesome thing in the world. I mean, I hear that all the time, right? Yeah, I do. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. <clears throat> Somebody will say it now, and it will be fake because I just said it. I set you up. But, but do you live in a world in which you know that you are loved, because loving means we live as Jesus lived. It means you're going to go sit down with people, and some of us in this room are going to criticize you for it. It means that you're going to go hang out with people that they say you shouldn't be hanging out with them. But when we begin to live as Jesus lived, we begin to experience this gospel, this good news. I just... There's not, a, there's not a bone in me that believes Brant was making this up for the publicity. You? Does anybody in here believe that? He was sweating it. And, and the, infer, the inference that we see is that the family was not happy about this. The testimony for his family, the testimony for us was incredible. That is what the gospel does for us when we choose to love. It removes the hate and the anger. and Not that we don't get angry, but it doesn't stay. The pain begins to go away. And 
This is where we begin to experience this thing that Jesus says, this spirit that I'm giving you, this is a deposit. This is just a piece of what's coming, but it's a big one. (laughs) It's a big one. And so you don't have to wait for heaven for those things to happen. I have no doubt that he has shed many tears and his heart is absolutely broken for losing his brother. It is not as if it doesn't matter. But yet there is a way in which Jesus says, I am transforming you into something new that most people won't understand. They won't understand, but you will. You will experience it. In verse 8, he goes on and he says, this is where the warning comes in. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. We're going to come back to that. What do you think he means there, by the way? Did you all read this week? What do you think he means there? Well, we'll come back to that. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not, deceive, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In other words, if somebody is teaching something that's not right, don't even let them in the front door. Now, we then have to ask ourselves, that doesn't sound very, feel very loving. Is this what is, do we love people by excluding them? And this is one of the ways in which the church has exercised this, our willingness to kind of call the people out that we don't want to have anything to do with. We just say, oh, you're just not teaching the right thing. That's why we have denominations. That's why our denominations can't stand each other. That's why we have this church and that church and that church over there. And these people are real Christians, but these people aren't. Well, they teach the wrong thing. That is not exactly what John is talking about here. He's talking about a very specific teaching that we do have to understand in our place and in our world today. But let's back up verse 8. Watch yourself that you may not lose what we have worked for. What he is literally saying here is you can lose everything if you corrupt the gospel. This is important for us to understand. The, The kumbaya moment that we want to have sometime in the church when we begin to mess with the truth of the gospel, we can lose it all. Some of you come from a background who says, no, you can't lose anything. I mean, once you're saved, you're always saved. I mean, you, you, as long as you pray the prayer, you get baptized, you're good, you can, you know, do whatever, and you can always come back, you can be backslidden, but you're still a Christian. This is what Paul said, because Paul feared for his own self that he would lose it. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run? Only one receives a prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, I am... I am trying to stay within the bounds of what is true because if I step outside of that, and it takes a lot of effort because if I step outside of that, then I'm going to lose this very thing I'm teaching about. This very thing I've spent my life doing, this very thing in which people are trying to take my life, I I might lose it if I vary or stray outside of what God says 
is true. Jesus said this about people that would in some way lead others astray. He said to his disciples in Luke 17, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around the neck and he were cast into the sea and that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's Jesus. That's the bring the little children and sit on my knee. And that's the, I'm going to leave the 99 to go after the one. That's the one who says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, you cause one of these to stumble, it'd be better if you were drowned with a big weight around your neck. That's the same Jesus. And why would we have this kind of seemingly hypocritical, two-sided, forked-tongued Jesus saying, love, and then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and not really what he said, but that's kind of the intent, right? That's really the spirit of it. Like, you all, you, you're going to want to be dead if you do this. It's because Jesus knows that when we corrupt the gospel... We take away the very thing he gave his life for. And he was not going to have it. He was not going to have it. John's not trying to instill fear in losing our salvation. He is urging us to protect the gospel within us. He's not trying to go around saying, listen, you may lose your salvation. Hey, listen, you need to do things my way or you're not really saved. Hey, listen, it's my way or the highway. He's not, he's not saying that. What he's saying is the stakes are so high, protect the gospel that is within you. Because if you're not protecting that gospel, you may lose it. You may lose it. Why do you think John would say, that you shouldn't receive anyone into your house uh, that is teaching anything different than what John is teaching. Why, why do you think um, John would say this? What do you think? Doesn't want you to be corrupted? I think that's a big part of it. What else? Doesn't want you, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How far do you think he's going here? Like, like, who gets to come in? Should we have a test on a clipboard outside the front door? Slide this under your door when you're done, and uh, we'll let you know if you get to come in. How far do you think he goes here? Some of this stuff isn't easy, is it? When we dive into the deeper teachings of the Scriptures, they lead us to places where we're like, I, that feels uncomfortable to me. Right? Well, we Nine times out of ten, 
um, so you need to stay away from them so that they don't drag you back under. Whereas I feel like you can still have like some people that drink every once in a while. Like you can still have them in your life, but you, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's different boundaries with different people in different situations and stuff. So I don't think there is one answer. No. Okay. Okay. You know, perhaps some of that is also what is your experience with that drinking? You know, um, there's no prohibition to having a drink. There is to having too much. You can know the pain of being in the crosshairs of someone who's had too much. Um, I don't... I don't think that's specific. I, I see what you're saying. I don't think that's specifically what John is trying to say here. Because, you know, we could fully embrace a way of seeing people in the world that says, um, you're messed up, so stay away. And the problem is with that is that that's not what Jesus showed us at all. I, you know, you have, um, you know, Jesus showing up with some fishermen who were just out trying to catch fish. Probably not the cleanest mouthed, uh, cleanest living people in the world. And he said, drop your nets and come and follow me. You know, disciples who were dishonest tax collectors who, you know, took the taxes to give away and a little for themselves. Jesus came for for Martha and Mary, where Mary is not helping get the house ready for Jesus' visit, and instead is sitting at his feet, fawning over him, uh, pouring perfume on his feet, and Jesus said, this is good. And he also came for Martha, who got mad at Mary, who said she should be working, you know. Um, Samaritan woman? Who else? I mean, what other examples can you think of? The thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, Specifically, we have to be careful saying, uh, you're not clean enough for me. And this is where the gospel comes back and we look in the mirror and we go, I am not clean enough for me. But it's also not, in that situation, is not so clean cut in which we say, well, you just welcome them in. You welcome an abuser in. That's different. Um, You just act like it's not a problem. It's different. What John is specifically talking about are people who would take the thing in which what Brant was showing us away from him. By saying something, specifically at this time, Jesus was a good man, he was a good teacher, he was a good prophet, but he was not the Son of God. That's specifically what John said I'm addressing here. People who, who do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, because if Jesus is not the Son of God, then he died on the cross. He didn't come back. And if he didn't come back, then our gospel means nothing. We have nothing. There is no Holy Spirit. 
There is no forgiveness. There is no anything after this. There is no walking with Him. There is no God the Father. Or if there is, we, we still wouldn't know Him. And it, it, it seems in our culture like a small thing for people to say, yeah, Jesus was good, but He wasn't the Son of God. I mean, come on. I mean, we should follow His example. No, no, no. Yes, we should follow His example. But he has to be the son of God or none of the rest of it matters. None of the rest of it matters. So that's a good that's good to bring up, Renee. And it does make this whole question harder. But I don't think that's specifically what John is talking about. Um, I think one of the things that John is thinking and this is just keep in mind. So John has been called, he's been with John the Baptist, he's gone with Jesus, he's been with Jesus, he and Jesus have some kind of special relationship, we don't exactly know what, we know he's headstrong, we know he's strong-headed, you know, there are times that John and Jesus even get on the other end of each other, and yet John is the one who is there, John is the one who sees this, John is the one that Jesus said, oh, I'm about to celebrate my last Passover, John, you go get the stuff, I'm trusting you because this thing we're about to do, it's, it's going to shake everybody's world. Come on. You take care of it. John's the one that was at the foot of the cross. No one else. Peter's the one, you know. Peter, I, he's going to build his church on, on the rock, right? Peter's the one who's denied him and walked away. John's the one who's there. John's the one that Jesus looks down and says, Take care of my mother. John had such an intimate experience and expression of Jesus within his life that for him, the gospel was all about Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is everything. It's more than your job. It's more than your kids. It's more than your spouse. It's more than whatever your future is. It's more than you know, what your destiny is. We like, preachers like to talk about your destiny. Your destiny is Jesus. That is your destiny. Everything is about Jesus. Also, that truth will never change. It will never change. So how do we wrap up all this today? Here's what I want to leave you with today. All right? We are meant to walk in community by loving each other. This is what we are meant to be as the church. Not a shingle on the road, not a building, not, uh, you know, however many people view the live stream. We are a community of people that are meant to love each other. That love based on our common affirmation that Jesus Christ is everything. That's, that's what we are meant to be. That's what John saw the churches in Turkey being. This is what he wanted to happen. We are meant to be in a loving Christian community. And that is the good stuff of being in the church. That's the good stuff. It's not coming to services. It's not coming to Bible studies. It's not making sure you've read your Bible every single day. It's not making sure you're praying the right way and you're praying at the right times. That's not it. That's all just pieces of it. It's like we, we cover stuff. We cover the real thing with something that's, that's false, that's not good 
You know, I do think it's funny that there's a meme floating around. Uh, you know, our, our parents or our grandparents are the ones telling us that we don't know what we're doing yet. They're the ones who covered up their hardwood floors with linoleum. Have you seen that meme? It is so true. You know, how many of us are pulling out all that stuff to realize, wow, the stuff that was there better, you know, I have this beautiful home, this beautiful siding. You put aluminum siding around this beautiful, beautiful home. Yeah, we covered all that stuff up. Let me encourage you that we should live as fully as Jesus lived and as he called us to live. Let us live in a way in which we walk in the community in which he envisioned and that he expressed and he shared and he taught us to live. But this loving Christian community is not just that thing in that place in which we just come and hug. We hug it out every Sunday morning. We're gonna hug. Sometimes we do. We're missing Miss Jean today. I mean, everybody's feeling a little down. They didn't get their hug this morning. I get it. But it's not that we're just going to come hug it out because actually loving each other, that actually becomes a defense against deception because just like I believe Brant has experienced and feels, I have what is real and true and it has changed me and no one is taking that from me. In this, there is a fear of, I'm not going to screw this up because I don't want Jesus coming after me with a millstone, right? But this loving community says, I don't forget what is important. Don't forget what is true. Don't forget that thing. Remember that Jesus is still everything. I'd ask you these questions. How seriously do we take the gospel in our everyday lives? Is it a piece? Is it we do it at church? Is it like... I'm in an evangelism class. I've got to know the gospel. Do we wake up in the morning going, I'm living out the gospel today. I'm living out this truth. How seriously do we take Jesus' commandments to love others? What are the filters that we've decided who gets love and who doesn't? when When we change the truth of who Jesus is, we change all that. And that's what John was seeing happening within his churches. That happens in our churches all the time. Finally, God wants us to emphatically proclaim and protect the message of his love for the world. And I pray that we would experience the kind of faith and the kind of walk with Christ that if our brother, our sister, mother, father, husband, wife, child, that's friend, were taken from us, we could respond in the way that Jesus responded. And I think we have a beautiful example when Jesus was crucified and he just, re- he just called out to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let us live that out fully. Now, next week we're going to wrap up Epistles of John. We're going to be in 3 John, so you can be reading the whole chapter again. It's a short Uh, short chapter, and it's just one chapter. So we're going to finish that. It's another specific letter, this time written to an even more specific person. And then we're going to wrap up that time together. So be reading, come back and join us, and uh, we'll, we'll continue that. All right, let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the love that you have shown us. 
God, I pray that we would not be enslaved to the just belief that some people are more lovable than others. I pray that we would remember that we ourselves are the most unlovable on this planet and you chose to love us. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for protecting the gospel for over 2,000 years. And Father, I pray that you would allow us in this small community, in this place and in this time, that we would represent you well. Father, I thank you for the beautiful testimony of Brant, and I pray just that you would be with he and his family, and I know you already are, to comfort them through this time. They are but one of millions of hurting people today. I pray that you would be with them, but I pray that we would not forget this beautiful testimony. It's just so simple, so powerful, and that we'd be able to live that out in the lives in which we live. I thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.